You are now listening to Macrotose. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Macrodose Extra, where we go in-depth with some of the leading voices from the world of economics. Our guest today is Professor Richard Wolfe. Professor Wolfe is Professor Emeritus at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and a visiting professor in the Graduate Programme in International Affairs at the New School University in New York. He is a co-founder of the non-profit Democracy at Work and the host of his weekly economic update, which is syndicated to radio stations across the US and available online to the rest of the world. He is also the author of numerous books, including, most recently, The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. We began by discussing exactly that. What has the fallout from the COVID pandemic shown us about the state of modern capitalism and how has this shifted the balance between workers and corporate power? I put it to him that many here in the UK believe that this current wave of strikes might finally be the beginnings of a resurgent labour movement. How is this playing out in the US context and what is the state of the US labour movement post-COVID? Well, it's very clear here in the United States that the pandemic of the last three years. And then think of that within the context of the period since 2008 and nine, and then think of that in the larger context of this century, of of this first 22 years of this century. Something happened in the United States that has really only bitten in to the lives of everyday people over this last 20 years in stages. The redistribution of wealth has been going on in this country since the 1970s. That is a a very important, I'm an economic historian, I study this stuff. Think of the 100 years, 1870 to 1970, as the upsurge of American capitalism. It was the the decline of your empire in Britain and the arrival of ours. And we went up, and with the exception of non-white people, the white people had a pretty good ride up. Decade after decade, real wages rose. uh, Unions could finally form. It was a time when the profits were doing wonderfully for business, but the real wages were going up. Workers didn't have any power, but they had an ever more comfortable life, and they were inundated with the fact that the only way to measure the quality of your life is by the quantity of your consumption. And if the system provided you with a quantity of consumption that was rising and that was better than in the rest of the world, well then, case closed problem solved. You are in the best possible position you could possibly be in, because anything beyond that wasn't relevant. That was the key thing. And the United States was the exemplar over those hundred years. All of that stopped, is very important, in the 1970s. It came to an end. Real wages in the United States have barely budged since the 1970s. Very important. So think of what you're doing to a population when for a 100 years, the standard of living and the definition of success are going up, and then it stops with no discussion, 
no debate, no politician recognizing, let alone addressing the problem. You've left the population desperately trying to figure out how do we get this American dream, rising consumption, when we don't, our wages aren't going anywhere. Uh, and the answer they found was two things. No, three. Number one, adult males took on more work, did more hours of work. Number two, adult white women left the house and got a job just like the husband, which had not happened before, except for the poorest. And number three, because the first two weren't enough, you borrowed more money than any working class in the history of the world has ever borrowed, meaning you exhausted the husband, you exhausted the wife, they could not hold the family unit together. They were too exhausted. The woman did most of that anyway. She couldn't do it anymore. And you are now filled with anxiety about levels of debt that your grandmother had told you you should never think about, let alone do. But it enabled continued consumption. And so powerful was the ideology that the consumption was grabbed at but the cost of the emotional disruption, we have the highest uh, rate of divorce in this country. We have the highest rate of, of self-destruction, suicide by opioid. I mean, our drug dependency is off the chart. I mean, it's a, it's a country of deep abiding misery. My wife and daughter are both psychotherapists. I could give you hours of what it is they try to cope with of a society falling apart. In 2008, the house of credit collapsed. The debts were too much. The people couldn't pay their mortgages. And we had the second worst collapse of capitalism. No one had told the working class this was even possible. Everyone had told the working class it was upward and onward. The only thing that didn't collapse in 2008 and 9 were your debts. Those remained and became ever larger because you couldn't cover them. Uh, it, it was a trauma. And before that trauma could be worked out, not that it was in any sustained way, we had the pandemic. And the pandemic did two things. Number one, it drove home that this system is incapable of protecting you. And they saw their own suffering. And then they saw something really bizarre. They saw a political theater in which everyone felt obliged to thank the frontline worker, the person who went to work despite the pandemic, who, who, who had to sit there in front of people coughing in their face because they were medical people, or they served food, or they did the things that had to be done. And, and so you had an even more bizarre disjunction between feeling unprotected, endangered, rising anxiety about credit you couldn't sustain, and yet being told how valuable you are, how important you are, how grateful we all are, it's too much. It, it became too much of a disconnection. And then, uh, this is not understood well, before the pandemic is over, long before, the system comes along 
and smacks the working class with an inflation, an inflation that last year got up into the 9 10% range, not as bad as you all have, but getting there, and then rising interest rates, making it even more difficult. It, you cannot, here's my judgment, you cannot whack the working class for 40 years with a redistribution, then with this credit problem, then with the crash of the credit system, then with a pandemic, then with an inflation. At a certain point, it's too much. You know, it's that last straw that breaks the proverbial camel's back. And I think what you're seeing is an accumulation, particularly acute among those 35 years of age and younger, people that fill my classrooms, because they grew up with a promise, and it's crystal clear that they're never going to cash in on that pro. They're not going to have a good job. They're not going to have an adequate income. They are, and there's nothing coming. And, and you can see rage and anger just below the surface blowing up, of course, in the mass shootings that we now have every day, uh, in the resurfacing of one charlatan, you know, Donald Trump, Taylor Green, people who make up scapegoats that are just appealing to the desperation that people have of somehow getting to a safe place making America great again, a euphemism for reestablishing a fantastic pre-existing history that will somehow save us. Microdose is brought to you by our supporters at patreon.com. For the full episode, head over to patreon.com slash microdose and subscribe today.